We are on part four of our preaching series called Fully Alive, which is a walk through the book of Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians. So if you have your Bibles here, whether it's one of these paper versions or a digital version, turn with me to the book of Colossians. And we're gonna start just now together in verse 24 together. And I want to remind you of something. When we approach Scripture like this, uh, Paul didn't write to Riverside. Paul was literally writing to a group of people in a city in uh, modern day Turkey, well, at least what is now modern day Turkey, called Colossi. He had them in mind. And in fact, we understand that, that he was answering a number of questions. He was addressing a number of issues. So the scriptures were written to them, but for our benefit. So we get to look in and what the Spirit of God does is He takes these words that are almost 2,000 years old and He makes them alive in our context and in our hearts. So uh, the reason why Paul was writing this letter is because this church, much like many of our churches today, were getting quite confused and pulled around by a number of forces around them. There were a number of other religions and some people were becoming Christians and bringing in some of these other religious practices. Uh, Some were maybe adopting some more secular philosophies into their Christian religion and creating a bit of a hybrid Christian faith. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you have to put Christ first. Christ has to be first above all things. And just like we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, it's not like Christ is first in the same way that your wife is first above all your other girlfriends. But Christ is so radically first to the exclusion of everything else. And that is the way we become fully alive to Him. So when Paul is writing to this church, he doesn't start off by giving him 45 do's and don'ts. But he goes to so much effort to exalt Christ. And, and Craig spoke about one of the most powerful times in Scripture where Christ is seen as supreme and as above all and in all and through all. And what a wonderful passage for us. But today we're going to get a bit of a glimpse into Paul the leader. As I said earlier, Paul wasn't just sitting down, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writing Scripture. Paul had a church in mind and he wanted to influence them. He wanted to shape them. And and we're going to get a bit of insight into what motivated Paul, the kinds of goals that he had, the, the kinds of ways he wanted to shape this church. He wanted to move them from A to B. And what we're going to discover as we look at leader Paul is that it wasn't always easy. And some of you have discovered that about leadership in your own lives. So some of you are maybe in a position of leadership, a position of influence. And some of you are sitting here saying, but I'm not a leader. This sermon is not for me. If you are alive and breathing, you are a leader. You have a sphere of influence. You're wanting to influence people around you. And for us as Christians, we even use the phrase, we want to lead people to Christ. That's leadership. That's about exerting your God-given influence in the lives of others. We've heard about these organizations that are using their God-given influence. And you can add your influence to what God is doing in these organizations. That's called leadership. So all of a sudden, every single one of us here can be recipients of today's message as we consider Paul's leadership in the life of this church. But some of you have discovered that leadership is hard. So maybe you're a teacher here this morning and you came up with this brainwave to transform how you do teaching. Or maybe you're a business leader and you've come up with a new strategy and you realize, man, if you follow the strategy, we're just gonna grow this business. Or maybe you're a mom or a dad and you've you've read a new book and you're like, well, from this point onwards, this is how we're gonna lead. 
or you're a student at school or at varsity and, and you just had this idea, maybe you don't have a position of leadership, but you're like, man, the world will improve if we all buy into this idea. So you got excited about this idea and, and you've read up and you've started talking to people about it. Maybe you've even sharpened up a bit of a presentation and people seem to be getting on board with you. And then the day comes when you engage in the idea and you start leading and you look behind you and nobody's there. The classroom is exactly the same as it was last week. Your kids are doing exactly what they were doing last week and the business is in exactly the same place and so it goes. And for that reason, many of us have given up. Many of us have said, that is not for me. But some of you have pushed through. Some of you have persevered in your leadership and I would warrant that the difference between those who have maybe given up and those who have persevered is not how much time or effort we put in, but rather the power of the idea. Because suddenly when I know this idea is powerful, I am suddenly willing to go through those difficult seasons of, of, of forming this idea and shaping it and adapting it to our context. I'm suddenly willing to go through the very difficult and sticky process of people misunderstanding me and not always knowing what's going on and, and maybe even having a, a people completely reject me. But man, oh man, I'm so committed to this trajectory. I'm going to stay the path. In fact, there's so many wonderful stories about people who have done that. Elvis was rejected dozens of times before he was signed on. Uh, Walt Disney was rejected over 300 times before he got investors for Disneyland. Uh, uh, Colonel Sanders, and I thank Jesus for that every single day, that he was rejected over a thousand times before he got investors for KFC. See, when we have an idea that's taken hold of our hearts, and we want to influence the world for it. We're going to realize it's hard, but at some point we're going to say, but it's worth it, it's worth it. And uh, so come with me as we kind of look under the, under the hood into Paul's leadership mind. And we're going to start reading Colossians 1 verses 24. And he starts off with this verse. And now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. These were literal, physical afflictions on His body for the sake of His body, which is the church. Now I rejoice. Now, I used to struggle with this idea of Paul, like this rabid, aggressive theologian, this kind of weird guy that if you had to get up onto the stage, you would be like, who is this guy? And what's, what's he on? And, kind of, and like writing scripture and you know, sparks flying and now he's in prison and doesn't really care, doesn't really eat. And I couldn't really connect with that guy. But the more I've gotten to know Paul, the more I started seeing what actually drove him. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks. We're going to touch base on that again today. I started realizing there's a different person here. And what we see when he says, I rejoice in the suffering, is there's something that he is willing to suffer for. He's got a goal in mind. He's wanting to shape a church. And, and, and in terms of this vision, in terms of the things he's willing to fight for, he's saying it's worth it. I'm okay to go to prison. He talks about this physical suffering in his flesh. I mean, if we understand what Paul has experienced, he uh, was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten several times. He was whipped several times. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He was in fear of uh, his countrymen and Gentiles. Uh, that's the kind of life that he lived. And he's saying all of that is actually worth it. Because of this goal that I'm living for. 
in another book, which is basically another way of saying, another letter that he wrote to another church, the church of Galatia, he likens this, this pain, this experience to childbirth. He says in Galatians 4.19, again, writing to a church, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, and here's his goal, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you, that is always Paul's goal. And he's saying, as I'm leading you towards this goal, it is painful. It is painful because you're not always following. It is painful because there's so much in your life. It is painful because I'm experiencing physical opposition and I'm in, I'm in prison. But at the moment, the way I see it, it is worth it because when Christ is formed in you, man, oh man, it's worth it. Now I've got two kids, but um, I always talk about, you know, we had two kids. The truth is Bianca had two kids. All right, I haven't gone through labor. Uh, I've seen those, I don't know if you've seen those YouTube videos where they take some men and they put those sort of electric pads on them and they really get them to go through the physical experience of labor. And you see these grown men like crying out in pain. Um, so I witnessed my wife do that. Uh, Levi, we had to have an emergency Caesar, but Bianca was in labor for 13 hours before that. I know some of your stories, you were in labor even more than that. But I'm watching my wife go through these labor pains. And maybe some of you doctors can correct me on this, but the way I understand it is that certain hormones and, and chemicals start triggering the contraction of your womb and the muscles around you. You literally start cramping. And I'm just watching this happen and, and the, the cramping starts getting more and more intense and more and more close together. And there's nothing I can do to help my wife. If anything, this is the kind of pain that I'm, you know, it's weird. It's like, this is a good pain because I know where it's going. And as much as she was in so much pain and I was having to watch this, that moment came where we were holding Levi, our baby. And you know what? The pain was forgotten. And at that point, you suddenly realized it was worth it. It was worth going through all of that and then we forget it all again because you go have a second baby. A friend of mine's having, is on his eighth. I really don't know what's going on with him. And as Paul uses this metaphor of childbirth with this goal in mind, he's saying that sometimes leadership feels like pain, but it's worth it. Because we've experienced, as we've tried to exert our influence, because sometimes we've experienced rejection, misunderstanding, and, and sometimes flat out opposition, some of us have given up. And I want to speak to you. And, and maybe for some of you who are in a position of influence, and all of us are in various ways, you may be thinking about giving up. And I want to say to you, you're not alone. Not only because I'm there with you, but the Apostle Paul is right there with you. He says, this is what it's like, but it is worth it. You see, the time comes when you are holding your baby boy. In other words, the time comes when you do start seeing what God is doing, when you do start seeing the fruits of your life. And man, oh man, it may take days, it may take years, it may take decades of praying and persevering. But that time comes when God shows you that here is what I am really doing. So stay the course. It is worth it. And this is why Paul can say, I rejoice in the suffering because it's worth it. J.D. Greer says, joyful sacrifice, this kind of sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And Paul is saying, to see Christ formed in you, 
is what I love more than, what I, than my own comforts. So let's read what this starts to look like. So verse 25, I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God and its fullness. Remember, he's talking about suffering because he wants to see something happen in the life of this church. And now he starts talking about, I've been commissioned to present to you the Word of God and its fullness. I was reading an article the other day that at first has heartened me. The article was called, It Takes a Thousand Sermons to Change You. I was like, okay, thousands. We've been going for eight and a half years. We're not even halfway. No wonder we're not seeing some of the fruits and some of the results we'd hope to be seeing, right? But the point of the article was this. We, we love those sermons that we remember. We love those moments where God shows up in wonderful ways. And sometimes we believe that that is the only kind of sermon that counts. But what the author was saying is that every time we come to God's Word, every time we stand up and preach, we're modeling an approach to God's Word. We're modeling this idea that God's Word is superior to mine. We're modeling this idea that I'm gonna see what God's Word has to say to me as opposed to what I have to say. And maybe I can find some verses to justify how I think. We're modeling our submission to God's Word. We're modeling this idea that we're gonna live out what we see so we try and apply what God's Word says in our lives and we get in our life groups and we become accountable to one another and we live this thing out. And week on week, this starts to shape how we approach God's Word. And, And not only is that true on a Sunday, that is true how we take it on a Monday, on a Tuesday or whenever. So maybe this metaphor will help as we think about these things. Because here's the thing, can anyone remember, you don't have to stick up your hand, but can anyone remember what I preached about two weeks ago? I can barely remember what I preached about two weeks ago. Anyone here remember what I preached about third week of May last year? No, I don't have a clue what I preached on 23rd of May last year. And yet, why do we come to God's Word week after week if we can't even remember what was preached about last week? Why do we come to God's Word every single day if I'm always forgetting this? And here's a metaphor I'm gonna leave with you. It's the metaphor of food. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. So here's the thing. I can't remember what I had for lunch last week Thursday. And there are certain meals that I definitely can remember. They stand out in my memory. But I most certainly cannot remember what I had on Tuesday, you know, the 4th of April, 2010. KFC, there we go. Thanks, Melody. That's probably 50% true. (laughs) But because of that, do I take the approach? Well, if I can't remember what I ate, then I'm going to stop eating. See, if I stop eating... I'm gonna get weak. And if I stop eating long enough, eventually I'm gonna die, right? The same is true when it comes to God's Word. So maybe you can't remember what this preacher about two weeks ago. Maybe you can't remember a sermon from three years ago. But man, we eat God's Word because it nourishes me. And the more I eat, the more I live. Jesus says, if you abide in me, my words must remain in you. And so we come and we model and we live out this approach of getting God's words in me. But here's the thing when it comes to real food. If it was up to me, I would eat a diet made up of steak, donuts, potatoes, and coffee. That'd be pretty much it. And some KFC melodies. But uh, 
Now that sounds wonderful for a day or two, but if I started doing that week on week, month on month, what would I start looking like? Man, I'd become so unhealthy. Not only would I get large and overweight, but I'd also get weak and my body would be prone to disease because I'm not eating what I need to be eating. And in the same way, we can treat God's Word that way. We can, well, I only like these verses. I don't like it when God says that. That's too hard for me to understand, so I'm not gonna go there. And I've said this to you before. If you want to live on a diet of cotton candy sermons, you can. All right, you can download a cotton candy sermon every single day for the rest of your life. And while we may not obviously see in the same way my body will start to show what I'm eating, maybe my spiritual life won't be as immediately obvious, I'm gonna be spiritually weak. And in fact, if I abandon a healthy diet for long enough, I'm gonna be incredibly spiritually weak and susceptible. And so Paul says here, if I wanna influence this church, I'm gonna present to you the fullness of the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why we're going through an entire book. We don't get to pick and choose the sections that we like. We don't get to just stay on the verses that we like and skip over the hard sections. There are gonna be some difficult sections coming up, but because our desire as leaders here is to see Christ formed in you, we're gonna bring the Word of God in its fullness. I know that there are sermons here where I've gotten up to stage to preach and I know, man, I am gonna offend people today. And, and there are times that I'm sure because of that, certain people have left the, no, no, that's too difficult. Or I don't like that, so I don't agree. And that's okay. It is way easier to preach cotton candy sermons. It is way easier to say the things that we love hearing week on week, but will you grow from that? No, you won't. We know that by taking a line of being true to Scripture, our church won't grow as fast. We know that there are certain things if we stopped saying our church would grow faster because it's easier. But is that good for us? Is that healthy for us? The answer is no. Now you're saying, well, Stephen, that's fine. You're the preacher, you're the pastor. You have to be soaked in God's Word. You have to present God's Word in its fullness. But I'm just in worship ministry or I'm just in kids ministry or I'm just in youth ministry or I'm just serving or I'm just in school. I'm just a student. That doesn't apply to me. And I'll say to you, you're wrong. See, the more you are growing and being nourished by God's Word in its fullness, so your influence grows, your godly, Christ-like influence grows, and you have great abilities to grow that in other people. There's a story by a guy called John Wimber. He's dead now, but he started the Vineyard Movement. And uh, at the beginning of the Vineyard Movement, a whole lot of songs and music came out of them. The kinds of, you know, uh, the equivalents of Matt Redman, Chris Tomlin of today, but maybe a couple of decades ago. And um, at one stage, John Wimber got all those worship leaders together. I mean, these are guys who were recording artists and they had songs around the world. And he sat them down and he said, listen, guys, in as loving a way as possible, he said, your songs are getting too weak. And he gave every single one of them a pile of books, like five, six books high, and these were big, fat books. Books on theology and, and, and books on understanding the Bible and how to read the Bible and, and commentaries on the Scriptures. And he says, read these books, then write your songs. He says, way easier for us to sing theology light songs. Woo, feel so happy. Don't have to think, Right? It's way easier for us to, to take our children's and kids' ministry and just entertain them. It's way easier to play games with our young people on Friday nights. But regardless of your sphere of influence, if you're committed to influencing for Christ, part of that commitment is influencing with the full Word of God. And I wanna encourage you to grow in that. 
So let's see where Paul goes from there in verse 26 and 27. Talking about, I'm just gonna read a bit behind you. I've been a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's where we start seeing what is motivating Paul, where he's wanting to lead the church towards. He talks about this mystery that has been kind of hidden from the saints has now been disclosed to them. What is this mystery? I don't know if you've ever wondered. I mean, here's my uh, paper Bible. And if I open it like this, on your right-hand side is the Old Testament and on your left-hand side is the New Testament. And the Old Testament is significantly larger and longer than the Old Testament. And maybe you've asked yourself this question, well, why have that? Well, what's the Old Testament about? And when we start understanding the Old Testament, we start to realise that it's this long narrative of God engaging in a plan that finds its fulfilment in the New Testament. He starts off with, after the fall, he starts off by calling a person, Abraham, and developing a family through whom he started blessing the world. Through Abraham came this nation, Israel, and through this nation came the kings and prophets. And throughout this whole time, there were these promises, we might call them prophecies, about what was to come. And every single generation moved the ball forward towards the fulfillment of these promises. And yet every single generation did not see the fulfillment of these promises. And yet they were faithful in moving with God and moving forth with God. And there were these kind of these types or these shadows of things that kind of needed an answer and yet weren't finding that expression in the old. And the way we understand it is Jesus is the answer to all those prophecies. Jesus is the answer to all of those promises and all of these shadows and all of those yearnings. When God came down in the flesh and fulfilled all he wanted to fulfill. But Paul says, not even that is the mystery. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I have come to understand that what motivated Paul above all things was those words. In Galatians, he spoke about Christ being formed in you. Here he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul wasn't mainly motivated by making nice middle-class Christians. Paul wasn't mainly motivated by us getting us to behave ourselves. Paul wasn't mainly motivated by getting us to worship or using spiritual gifts or, or even planting churches. All of those are good things, but all of those come from the place of discovering Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is what Paul taught. That is what Paul prayed to go back two weeks because he knows that it is only God that can enable us to truly understand that. And that is what Paul was willing to suffer for. Christ in you. And, and the reason why I praise this is because he's like, if you get that, when that starts to sink in, it changes everything. That is going to change how you think. That is going to change how you behave. That is going to change, that is going to affect how you engage God's words. That is going to affect your worship. That is going to make you want to be on mission. That is going to make you want to plant churches. That is going to make you want to care for the poor because literally Christ is in you and He is the one doing this thing in you. See, there's a whole bunch of things that 
we can get sidetracked by and good things. I've mentioned a few. We can, get, we can make worship or we can make spiritual gifts or we can make a, 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 a kids ministry or we can make mission the main thing and Christ saying, no, no, no. But sorry, Paul is saying the main thing is Christ in you. And so wherever you are influencing mom and dad, I want to suggest to you that this is your goal for your kids' lives. Of course you want them to grow character. Of course you want to grow their capacity and some of those awesome C's that we heard from Richard earlier. But ultimately that it needs to be fueled by them discovering Christ in them. And if you're a teacher or if you're a worship leader or if you're leading kids ministry or youth ministry or you're serving in any capacity or you're engaging in these organisations, your goal needs to be Christ in whoever I'm ministering to, Christ in them, the hope of glory. This is what we want for them. Any smaller goal you will give up on. You'll not persevere through. And this is why we get to the last verse for this morning. Well, the second last verse, sorry, verse 28. So, because what we wanna do, we wanna see Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So again, hear it again, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Again, this is why we are going through this book. This is why we keep our Bibles open in life groups. This is why we engage in our scriptures every single time we preach. And I've been asked a number of times, you know, Stephen, why is it that we at Riverside prioritize the preaching of God's word over everything? Why do we give more time to teaching and preaching than to worship or to sharing or to anything else? And this is why. This verse explains why. Because Paul is saying, I want to mature this church. I want to lead them from A to B. The goal that I have in mind for them is to see Christ formed in them and the way I'm going to do it. If that's the why, this is the how. The how is we proclaim Him. We're admonishing, we're teaching everyone with wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We even see this in Jesus. Now Jesus came and He did a lot. I don't know what comes to mind as you picture Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe you picture miracle-wielding Jesus. Or maybe you picture sinner-loving Jesus. Or maybe you picture power Jesus casting out demons. And did Jesus do all those things? Absolutely. Are we called to live in that power? 100%. But I want to take you to the book of Mark. And literally just go through a few verses. You're welcome to turn there, but I'm just gonna run through a few verses and wanna show you how Jesus wanted to do this. He had a goal, but look at the how. Mark chapter one, verses 14. And I'm just gonna go quickly here. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 21, and they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach Verse 35 to 38, over the page. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And I just want to pause there. You see, Jesus had just been healing so many people. Now you can imagine, whoa, he healed Sean, or he healed Craig, or he healed Chantal. So we need to get our other people around to Jesus so they can heal them too. So the disciples are saying, listen, Jesus, there's even more people outside for you to heal and listen to what he says. 
Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Chapter two, verses one to two. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Did Jesus continue to heal? Absolutely. Did Jesus continue to perform signs and wonders? Absolutely. Did Jesus cast out demons? Absolutely. Did Jesus love the poor? Absolutely. But when he says, here's one of the main reasons I've come and here's how I'm going to do this, it looks like exactly what our verse looks like today in verse 28. It looks like proclaiming, it looks like admonishing, it looks like teaching so that we can grow in this. So the last verse for this morning, to this end I labor. Again, what is his goal? To help the church understand Christ in them, the hope of glory. To this end I labor, struggling. Can you hear this leadership language? This is hard work, I'm struggling. I'm experiencing this pain, I rejoice in the pain, but it's a struggle. But I'm also struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works within me. This is where we understand the true heart of Christian influence. See, Paul wasn't just adhering to a bunch of leadership principles. Paul didn't just see the the new leadership book on Amazon and try and install that in his organization. And some of those are good and some of those are great. Paul didn't just kind of have this moral code and try to get everyone to go in line and live by this code. What ultimately motivated Paul, the reason why he wanted to see Christ in them, the hope of glory formed in them, the reason why he was willing to suffer because that was what he experienced. He was under the influence of Christ and therefore he wanted to influence. Guys, if you wanted to influence, you need to start here. Don't start with the leadership books. Don't start with all the fancy hows and the 10 ways to do this. Paul, I just imagine him. I'm just hearing this language. It's it's not like I want to do this and then I want to do that. He's like, I can't not. I'm in prison and and I've suffered, but I can't stop doing this because I'm experiencing Christ's energy in me. I'm starting to see how He sees. I'm starting to feel how He feels. I'm starting to experience what He literally experienced, not because I'm trying to, but because He is in me. He is in me. Going back a few weeks ago, that's why Paul said, I wanna know Him and the power of His resurrection and even participate in the fellowship of his sufferings because I want to know him. Guys, and if that's where we start, the influence will come naturally because we are living, breathing products of Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you're leading worship or when you're leading uh, kids and kids ministry or when you're speaking to teenagers or when you're loving on orphans or when you're thinking strategically about how to multiply the kingdom and grow resources and when you're thinking about putting Christ first in your time and your treasures and your talents, if you get this first, all of that comes naturally. This is why when Craig preached last week, we introduced this concept and we handed out a little card with these words on who's your one? Who's your one? And the challenge is when it comes to Easter weekend, who is God laying on your heart so that you can approach them and invite them to be part of our Easter weekend? Guys, the goal is not so we can have a bumper Easter service and pat ourselves on the back at our staff meeting on Tuesday and say, that was awesome, job done. 
No, the reason why we do that is because Easter is one of those moments where people are more inclined to say yes to an invitation to church. We heard one of the stats last week that 90% of people would say yes to an invitation if they were asked. And here's your opportunity. And I don't want you to be motivated to do this because Steve said, or because Craig said, or because I don't know what else to do with this card. (laughs) My prayer is that your motivation is, I'm growing in Christ. I'm starting to discover and taste that He is good. His energy is starting to transform me. I'm starting to see and feel and think differently. And for that reason, I can't not. So guys, start praying. Who is God putting on your heart? Craig reminded us last week, before we start talking to men about God, we need to be speaking to God about men. Asking God to prepare the soil of people's hearts for that invitation. And think about what Easter is. Easter senses in on the bull's eye of our faith. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus. The ultimate certain hope to use some of the language of Colossians. The point of salvation, the power of the gospel. That is our Easter moments and that is what needs to be motivating us. So here's a few practical thoughts for you. Maybe you want to invite someone, maybe not just to the church service, maybe you want to invite them to have hot cross buns after the Good Friday service at your home. Go for coffee, go for brunch, have a lunch. Maybe invite them to the breakfast between the two services on Sunday or invite them to lunch at your home. And, and while you're on your way, just come with us to our church service and, and uh, you be praying for them. We're also gonna be dispersing a, a kind of an e-invite that you can send out on WhatsApp or share on Facebook Please, what I want you to do, please don't just spam all of your contacts so that people hate Riverside Community Church. All right? Make the personal invite and follow up with the invitation. Here's the information you need. I will meet you in the parking lot. I will make sure you don't feel weird. I will ensure I walk the road with you afterwards. You want to be in this church for the long haul. Don't just drop them here like they're babies and we're their babysitters. How did you find it? Did you feel God say anything to you? No? Okay, that's fine. Let's go enjoy lunch. A few weeks later, a few weeks time, want to come join us again? Just, can I introduce you to some people? Would you like to come to our life group? You need to be in this for the long haul. So who is God putting on your hearts? Who's your one? What's motivating you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul, as I argued two weeks ago, Paul knew that the only way that that this was gonna be unlocked in their hearts was through prayer and through the preaching of God's word. So I wanna invite some of you to stand and respond to this message this morning. If you want this, if you want to grow in your Christ influence, whether you have an official leadership position or not, if you want to influence your kids, if you want to influence your family, if you want to influence your your colleagues or your uh, uh, um, friends at varsity or at school, if you want to grow in your influence, if you want to grow in your ability to persevere through times of suffering, through times of hearing no, through times of opposition and misunderstanding, If you want to not give up on that, if you want to grow in your ability to present the fullness of the Word of God, if you want to make Christ in you the hope of glory, your goal, 
And if you wanna be personally motivated by that more because you are a living, breathing experience of Christ and you're the hope of glory. If that is you, I'm gonna ask that we all close our eyes and if you want to be praying along those lines, to stand with me as we pray. Again, there's nothing magical about this, but if you are in a position to receive, just open up your arms, open up your hands. Again, it's just your, the posture of your body being the same as the posture of your mind and the posture of your heart. Humbling ourselves before God and what only He can do. And so Father, I ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit's so that you would allow us to see this truth, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I pray that it starts with us. I pray that in increasing measures, as we go through this day, we wake up throughout the course of this week, we would increasingly experience this great, wonderful mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I pray that week on week and month on month and year on year, we would grow in, yes, Lord, I've tasted and seen that you are good. Holy Spirit, give us more of this energy that works powerfully within us. So it's Christ in us motivating us to see Christ in others. Holy Spirit, allow us to see that. God, allow us to persevere through these tough leadership moments as we're thinking about our sphere of influence, the people that you've placed on our hearts as we've experienced Opposition, difficulty, misunderstandings. God, allow us to joyfully withstand that suffering for the sake of something better. Allow us to walk that long haul as Paul did for the sake of Christ in you. God, help us fall in love with your words, the fullness of God's word. Open our eyes and our minds to see not just the passages we're familiar with, but to grow in our diet and our desire to be nourished and fed and also to be transformed by your word. God, allow, give us words and understanding so that when we are in these places of influence, we can proclaim, we can admonish, we can teach. We can deal with questions, we can deal with thorny issues. We can speak with wisdom into these different contexts as you enable us, Holy Spirit, speaking the words of God. And God, again, may we be living, breathing testaments of Christ and you, the hope of glory. So God, I ask for more of that. More heaven touching earth. More of your will. More of your kingdom coming. Here in Riverside, in our homes, in our businesses, at our varsities, as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.